You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. We're going to be moving into a series called Habits of Happiness. I would, I would argue that there's probably one thing that's a common thread throughout um, all of society, and that's the desire to be happy. How many of you would agree with that? We see it in advertising. We see it in, in people's communication. We see it in social media. There's an overwhelming desire for us to be happy. In fact, it's so important to us that in the beginning of our country, we even wrote it into the Declaration of Independence, Right? When we said that we hold these selves to be, um, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, we were so intensely desiring happiness; it even made it into the Declaration of Independence. We know it wasn't just there. It's made it into our songs, haven't it? How many of you guys know that so many songs, they sing about happiness? In fact, if you grew up in the 80s, I guarantee you, you whistled this. Don't make me do it by myself. You were there. Dude, don't worry. Be what? Don't worry. Be happy now, right? Okay, so if you didn't grow up in the 80s, maybe you remember this. Uh, you clapped along because you believed that happiness was a truth, right? Oh my gosh, do you listen to the radio? Anybody? Am I the only one? Clap along because you feel like... So we're going to do a series on sadness. We're going to begin right now. It's in our songs. It's in our culture, right? We were chasing after happiness. In fact, there's even studies done on happiness. Time after time after time, people are doing studies to find out how can we reach the maximum potential of our happiness. So this morning, I want to throw out just a few numbers to you. We'll call them happy numbers, right? That'll say that these numbers, if we get to these numbers, we'll find happiness in our life. So the first number I want to give you, it's this. Six to seven. Six to seven. That's how many hours that study the studies show that if we spend in relationship with friends and with family per day, six to seven hours per day, it's going to increase our happiness 12 times, 12 times rather than if we had not. Here's another number for you. It's five. Everybody say five. This is an important number, men. You're going to want to remember this number, five. For every one conversation that you have with your bride that is not so happy, you want to have five affirming conversations to make up for it. They say if you do that, your, your marriage will increase in its happiness. So basically like this, if you have one, or wives, if you have this one conversation with your husband, it's like, listen, honey, we need to talk. Uh, dirty clothes on the floor by the hamper isn't the same thing as in the hamper. How many have ever had that conversation with your husband? Okay, that for every one of those conversations, we want to have how many good conversations? Five conversations. Here's another marriage one, okay? Um, every week, one to two times, um, how do I want to put this? For every week, if you have one to two, how you doing, moments, you have a 58% increase of having a happier marriage. Here's another statistic. Another statistic, 100%. 100%. 100% of all you husbands will bring up that last statistic sometime this week. I guarantee you. 
Like the one thing you remember from this sermon, honey, pastor said, pastors, I'm just, he was speaking, he was speaking. Okay, let me give you another number. Here's another number. Okay, it, 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 it's um, 75000 $75,000. If you make $75,000, um, that will be like the perfect amount of happiness in your life. They say any more annual income above $75,000 doesn't really increase your happiness level. Now, how many of you would like to put that to the test this morning? Just say amen. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> go ahead and test me in that, Jesus. Go ahead and test Here's the last numbers I want to give you. It's 33, 55, and 70s. 33, 55, and 70s. They say those are the happiest ages of individuals. If you're 33, if you're 55, or if you're in your 70s. So I'm 44. Don't ask me how my day is. (laughs) I'm between 33 and 55. I'm miserable. Leave me alone. So here, here's, the, here's the thing that I'm finding out. Like, so we're pursuing happiness. We're looking for it all over the place. We sing about it. We study about it. And yet these statistics are true. Only one in three Americans claim that they're happy. One in three Americans. And then check this out. In the United States, North Carolina, we are ranked 30th in happiness. People, Idaho is beating us. <laughs> We have beaches, we have mountains, we have professional sports. They have potatoes. <laughs> They're beating us. So why, why, why are we a people who are so passionate about happiness, and yet we're still not finding happiness? I think there's a couple things that we can see. The first one is that we have to realize that happiness is not a goal. Happiness should not be our goal. Listen, if happiness is my goal, then my goal in life is all about me. And anytime my life is all about me, that's a recipe for misery. We were not created to chase after our own emotions. We were created to worship, to love God first. And so when happiness becomes our goal, our goals become something that are detrimental to our happiness. The very thing that we're chasing after is the very thing we lose. I think another reason is this, is because we have to recognize that we have to create habits of happiness. And so that's why for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this series, Habits of Happiness. I think another reason why we're so miserable is because sometimes what we do is that we don't look for, we look for happiness instead of creating happiness. We don't want to look for happiness. We want to create happiness. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, some pursue happiness and others create it. If we're not creating happiness and we're expecting our circumstances to create happiness, how many of you know we're going to be happy one moment and miserable the next, right? Because circumstances change. Let me give you an example. One of my favorite things to do since we moved to North Carolina is when I get to take my sons to a Panthers game. I love walking in. It makes me so happy. I'll walk into the Panthers game with my sons. There's the black. There's the blue. There's the crowd. It's Bank of America Stadium. And I am happy. And then my kids want hot dogs. (laughs) And I go and I ring it up for four hot dogs. It's $400. (laughs) I'm not happy anymore, right? So, and then the Panthers, the game starts. Luke Keekley comes out. He destroys the next opposing running back. He 
fumbles, picks it up, he's down. I'm happy that Cam Newton throws another interception for the 500th time in one game. Am I unhappy all of a sudden, right? So circumstantially, if we're looking for happiness, we're going to be like this. We're going to be living on a roller coaster. Man, I don't know about you, but if there's one place I want to avoid is living on an emotional roller coaster. And if my happiness is bound up in my circumstances, that's the very thing that's going to happen to me. I've got to create habits of happiness. There's a video I want to show you this morning. It's a video about a woman named Mama Hill. Now, come on. Isn't that a great name, Mama Hill? She was a lady who took a test to measure her happiness. See how happy her life was. She scored so high on this test that the people that gave the test wanted to interview her and find out, okay, what is it about you that's making your life so happy? So check this out with me. Let me, uh, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on. Okay. These surveys that we, uh, that we gave you, they're designed to uh, measure basically how happy you are. Uh, you scored a, a perfect score, Hap- higher than anybody that we've given this test to since we've been doing this. It's, it's, it's really quite remarkable. Good. I, I think we're all anxious to know, why do you think that is? Well, I'll give you a very brief little summary of what I do every morning when I wake up. I wake up and I say, this day I choose to be happy, well, and complete. That's first. I thank God for letting me get up. Then I thank God for the fact that I have running water in a toilet. I have soap. I have toothpaste. There are people in the world who don't have any of those things. And for food. Because uh, sometimes we get them, well, I don't think I can make it today. I don't think I'm going to. But we have to realize that we are truly blessed. Then I thank God for peace in my house. I have a peaceful house. And I meditate. And then after I meditate and have my prayer, I um, just say, okay, God, who, how may I serve you today? And who can I help today? And finally, I watch cartoons. And when I watch the cartoons, I wait for the answers I just ask. And that's a very happy, beautiful day for me. Because I don't have any... Cartoons never have a problem. There's always an end to it, right? Something good happens at the end. And I have several cartoons that I watch until my day begins. And so, therefore, uh, I don't have an attitude. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I think you just told us in two minutes Mm -hmm. more than any of the studies we've looked over have. So uh, I'd really like to thank you for coming in today and just generally doing fantastic work for helping out the children that you do and for having a fantastic attitude. Uh, Thank you so much for coming in, Mama Hill. It's my pleasure. You should watch cartoons. I do. They're all good. What's your favorite? My favorite is Clifford the Red Dog. Clifford the Big Red Dog, adventure time for me. You should check it out. It's great. Never underestimate the power of a cartoon, people. Never underestimate. Isn't that great? So this is, this is what I, I walked away with when I was listening to this interview. It, it, something that stood out to me. They, when, she, when they asked, what makes you so happy? Why are you so happy? You know what she didn't say? She didn't say, well, I grew up in a perfect home. I grew up in a happy home, therefore I am now a happy person. She didn't say, I'm so happy in my job, right? She, she, she said something completely different. What she said was this, that she had created habits that led to her happiness. 
That the circumstances around her wasn't what was making her happy. Her happiness sprang out of habits. And I love how she recognized the very first thing she did. She's praying to the Lord. First thing she does is she's recognizing her circumstances in the Lord. And our circumstance in the Lord is always good. How many of you know that? Your circumstances in God isn't subject to fluctuation. Your circumstances in the God, it's yes and it's good and it's amen every time. And so the very first place that she goes to is to the Lord because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a rock that doesn't change. And so she finds this happiness in there. And then she begins to do other things that creates habits to lead to her happiness. Now, as awesome as Mama Hill is, and, and I love that, that, that interview, man, if I can interview anybody about happiness, I, can, I think of one person. That'd be the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a man who, despite circumstances, still was able to live a life of happiness. And and we're going to talk about some of these circumstances. There's circumstances that, I'm going to be honest with you, if I was in them, man, I would be tested in my happiness. And yet Paul was still a man who could speak of joy. He could speak of faith. He could speak of happiness, despite everything that was going on around him, the hardships that he would endure. So turn with me, if you would, this morning to the book of Philippians. If you brought your Bible, we're going to start in Philippians. And really what we're going to be doing for the next several weeks is walking through the book of Philippians, chapter by chapter, and we're going to discuss discover that Paul is giving us insight to habits that if you and I incorporate in our life, we're going to watch our quotient, our, our happiness quotient level come way up. The first thing that he begins to focus on right out of the gate in chapter one and how he can live a life of happiness is because he's living a relational life. He's living a relational life. Paul focuses on the relationships that he has developed, the relationships that he has. Hey, listen to me. If you want a guaranteed way to live a miserable life, live it alone. If you want to be guaranteed to be grumpy, guaranteed to be upset, guaranteed to be just just down in life, live life alone. God created you for community. God created you for togetherness. He created us, this thing right here. Why? Because it's in relationships that we discover a depth and a level of happiness that God intended for us. God himself showed us that we were developed by relationship or developed for relationship by his very nature. He's God the Father. He's what? God the Son. God the... Okay, you got there. Good job. Listen, relationship, connectivity, and in the same way, we were created for one another. And Paul, right out the gate, he's talking about relationships. If you haven't turned there already and your Bibles do so, otherwise we have it on our, um, on our PowerPoint above here. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop right there. I think there's something so important in Paul's letters. Almost every one of his letters, he says that very, that very line, grace and peace to you. He does it intentionally. He does it intentionally. Listen, in our lives, we will never experience or recognize peace until we've undergone a transformation of grace. 
until we've accepted and realized the depth of God's grace in our lives that would forgive us of our sin, that would move us from death to life, I cannot have peace. Look at the person next to you and tell them, you won't have peace until you've experienced grace. You've got to experience the grace of God in your life in order for you to experience genuine, true, life-changing peace. Starting in verse 3 again. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. It's this, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In these 11 verses, what we're hearing time and time and time again is Paul expressing his thankfulness for people in his life. Write this down as number one in your habits of happiness when it comes to personal relationships. If you want to find habits of happiness, if you want to find happiness in your life, you've got to be thankful for those that God has brought into your life. You've got to be thankful for the people in your life. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 says, I thank God every time I remember you. I thank God every time I remember you. This blows me away. This verse completely blows me away. You know why? Because if I were Paul and I was remembering Philippi, I would not be happy. In fact, do this this week. Go to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to give you an overview. But Acts chapter 16 tells us about Paul's experience in this city, the very city that he's writing and talking about how happy he is when he thinks about them. He had nothing to be happy about. Let me give you the overview again. So, so Paul is um, he's doing his missionary thing, right? And he gets this vision of a man in Macedonia saying, hey, come preach over here. Come bring the truth over here. So Paul sees the vision, responds to the vision. He goes to Macedonia, and he ends up in this town called Philippi. He walks in there, and things start cool. They start great. He, 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 he's walking around with Silas, and this lady comes up. Her name's Lydia. She, she sells purple clothing, and, and, and he begins talking with her, and she's saved, the first person saved in the, in the Philippian church. So cool. But how many of you know that one day things can be cool, and the next day things can uh, be uncool, Right? He's about to experience the uncool next day. He starts to preach again, and there's this demon-possessed slave girl. Now, her, because of her demon possession, she was able to tell the future. So she's a slave. She can tell the future. What do you think her boss is doing? Making money, right? If, if she can tell the future, and I can align my business up in such a way that I'm a profit, that's what he's doing. And so this girl who's demon-possessed, making money, begins to follow Paul and Silas all over, and she's screaming. She's yelling out, Paul, you, you're, 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 you're a follower of Jesus. I mean, so that she's like screaming out this over and over and over again. How many have ever heard like a chant over and over again at a football or baseball game where you're like, stop already? Stop <laughs> already. 
Okay, so Paul basically gets like that. Would you stop already? He curses the demon. Demon comes out. The owners are ticked off, right? Just lost their, their cash cow right there. And so they lie about Paul and Silas. They tell the Roman government around there, hey, listen, they're trying to do stuff to, that, that, that's unconstitutional. It's against our ways. And so they take Paul. They strip him. They beat him. They throw him in prison. He goes through an earthquake. When he finally gets out of that, you know what they do? They ask him to leave the city. Paul and Silas, listen, they're still saying, when I think of you guys, when I think of that time, I'm thinking of happiness. You know what I'd be thinking of? Huh? Like, they're, like their Instagram post would be like them posing in front of Philippi saying, hashtag blessed, right? <laughs> oh, happy day. <laughs> Not me. Like, I'm a hashtag, uh, go visit somewhere else, people. But they're like so happy. Why? Let me tell you why. Because Paul had selective thinking. Paul had selective remembering. He remembered to, to think on certain things and to ignore others. He chose to not dwell on the circumstances of his past, but he chose to dwell on the richness of the relationships he had. He chose to dwell on that time that Lydia gave her life to the Lord. He chose to dwell on that time that that other person talked to Silas. Oh, and they came to know Jesus. How cool was that moment? And so when I think of you, I thank God. Man, I can't do that if I'm thinking about getting whipped and chained. I can't think about that if I'm handcuffed in prison and then being kicked out embarrassingly from a city. But I can do that when I think about the people that God has placed in my life. What about you? Listen, there's been some tough stuff in your life, hasn't there? You've gone through some tough stuff in your past. Guarantee you. You know why? Because you're living this thing called life. And in life, there's always tough stuff. So I know 100%. Here's another statistic for you. 100% of you have gone through something in this place. Now, hey, hey, let me ask you. What are you choosing to remember? Are you choosing to remember the pains of the moment? Are you choosing to remember the depths of the relationships that God placed around you to get you through those moments? That's how we can begin to thank God for all that he's done. The second thing that we can do to create a habit of happiness is this. Pray with joy for the people in your life. Oh, we're going to talk about some hard stuff now. Philippians chapter 1, verse 4. In, sit, read this with me. In all my prayers for... <laughs> you know what you just did there? Stop. You know what you just did, right? Did you catch that? It, it, he's not saying, in all my prayers for the ones that I like of you... <laughs> he's not saying in all my prayers for the ones that are like really cool to me he said I, my, in, my, in all my prayers for all of you I pray with joy come on now somebody agree with me that's tough because the reality is I don't care who you are there are certain people that you just naturally like and there are certain people that even the way that they breathe bugs you don't lie. You're in church. You know I'm telling the truth. There are certain people that you just like you naturally click. And then there's other people you're like, oh, my gosh. I, I, you know, they're, they're believers. And, but, <laughs> right? Some of you are acting like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Listen, but Paul is saying this. It doesn't matter whether you like or dislike. It doesn't matter if you're naturally inclined to that person or not. Pray with joy. For all of them. 
Pray with joy. And when he's talking about praying for, with joy for all people, he's, he's talking not about this kind of a prayer. Like, Lord, I just want to pray for so-and-so. Lord, you know they're losers. And, um, and I, just, I just want to pray that they'd be winners, winners in your name. And Lord, if they don't choose to be nice to me, would you strike them dead, Lord God, in your mighty name? Not that kind of a prayer, right? Don't look at me like you haven't prayed like that. Seriously. But we, what he's talking about is like really praying for the heart of the person. Pray with joy. Get your emotions out of the way. Don't, don't dwell in bitterness. Don't dwell in a place of critical judgment. But live in a place where you can live and pray with joy for somebody. Because this is the third thing that we want to do. We want to write this down for number three. We want to expect the best in people. We want to expect the best in people. Philippians 1.6, listen to this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That verse, for me, when I apply it to me, Gosh, it gives me hope. How many of you are like me a little bit? Like you can see a lot of your deficiencies. Hello? How many of you like me can see, like you can stack up 10 things you do right, but that one thing you do wrong, that's the one that you think about at night when you go to sleep. Hello? And so when Paul is speaking to me and he's saying, hey, Jeremy, you know what? I'm confident of this, that he that has begun a good work in you, you know what? He's going to continue to do it. It's going to get better. You're going to get better. Man, I love that. I own that. Now, here comes the question, though. Do I believe that in others or only for me? When those people around me let me down, do I believe this? Do I believe that God is doing a work in them? And just like I get it wrong, they're going to get it wrong. And so, and so how am I going to see them? There's three things here. There's three things that Paul is doing in just that one verse. He's saying, I believe in you. He's saying, I believe in you. <laughs> I've got um, my kids. I used to, in fact, we were just driving yesterday and we were um, passing some soccer fields and I'm watching all these like little kids playing soccer. You know how they just move in one big pack. They're like not separate, just like, kicking like it and i was like man i miss that i miss i miss watching my kids play soccer i miss watching them play little league baseball and watching them play baseball is one of my favorite things there are times where they get up and they would do great right and then there were times they would get up there and they would strike out they strike out and so when they would strike out you know i'd be sitting on the bench and i'd stand up and i'd go you loser (laughs) hit the ball for a change did i do that Right, because my wife would have shot me right there. But the reason why I didn't do that was this, because I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that. What I believed was that the next time they got up to the plate, you know what they were going to (laughs) do? They were going to go all kinds of Hank Aaron on it. That's what they were going to do. They were going to put it over the the outfield wall. You know why? Because I believed in them. I believed in them. Do you know that's how your father sees you? And if we're going to be a reflection of our father, that's how we need to see one another. Listen, I don't, here's one. I try to be transparent. 
try to let you be on the things that I'm not good at. I can be a critical guy. I mean, I've got, really got to work on that. I really got to where I can see all the things, man. If they would just do this one thing right, right? They do all this, but if they could just fix this, man. And you know what? I, that, 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 that's, that's marinating in misery. But when I believe that their best is before them, man, it changes me. It changes the way I relate with them and it changes how they see themselves. He believed in them. The second thing he did is he spoke vision into their life. There's nothing more empowering than you speaking vision into somebody's life. Speak goodness into people's life. Speak hope into people's life. Speak potential into people's life. Guess what it does? It doesn't just change them, it changes you. As you begin to speak potential, possibility, what someone can achieve instead of what someone has not yet achieved, guess what? Not only are they going to be increased in courage and in strength and in happiness, so will you. As I speak destiny into somebody's life, man, it changes my own. Then the fourth thing happens just naturally. Write this down for number four. Number four is that I begin to love people in my life. I begin to love people in my life. 1 Peter 4.8 says this, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You know what that last one sounds a lot like? Sounds a lot like how Jesus looks at me. Sounds a lot like how Jesus looks at you. Jesus set his face to the cross. He set his face to Jerusalem. He walked to the cross. And the Bible says this, for the joy, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know what that tells me? Jesus was not allowing his joy to be dictated by circumstances. You know what Jesus was allowing his joy to be dictated by? people, you, and me, so that he would go through anything. He loved you that much. So how do we, what do we do with that? If he loved us that much, what do we do with that? Let me tell you, there's two things that we do with that. Number one, we accept that love. We receive it. It's an offer. He's giving it to us. We receive that love. So here, this is something, because I don't know all of you in here. I don't know all of you in here. I wish I did, but I don't. All of these habits that we talk about, they're good. Don't get me wrong. We're going to talk more about them. But if the first thing isn't the first thing, you're never going to find happiness. And the first thing is to receive the love of Jesus Christ into your life. You'll never find joy. This life is going to have moments of feel-good potential, and then it's going to be devastating again. Because the only thing... We're going to find our joy and our hope in and our happiness in is the love and relationship of Jesus Christ. And so I don't want to go any further until we do this. That was pretty good, huh? <laughs> I meant to do that, just so you know. Just so you know, I was practicing. First thing I would do is this before we go any further is just to ask you, have you done that? Have you received his love? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Would you close your eyes? Because while I'm asking everybody, I'm asking you individually. 
Do you know him? Have you received him? Have you accepted him? That's the beginning of a life of joy, an eternal life of joy. And if you have not done that, you've never said, yes, Jesus, I want to make you my God. Yes, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Yes, Jesus, I know you love me and I receive that. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three to say, yes, Jesus, I want that. One, two, three, raise your hand. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else that would say, Jesus, I want you. Jesus, you are my king. Jesus, you are my joy. Jesus, be my God. Is there anybody else? Yes. Yes, I see you. Yes. So, Lord, those hands that are raised high, what we're declaring today is this. We need you. We want you. We believe in you. Jesus, we declare together as one people, you are my king and you are my God. That there is nothing else in this world that can measure who you are. There's nothing else in this world that I desperately need like I need you. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have failed. I know I have made mistakes. But more importantly, I know who you are. You are the conquering king. You rose from the dead and you give grace and mercy. And so today, Jesus, I I receive your grace. I receive your mercy. And I turn from where I used to walk and I begin to walk towards you. All the days of my life, I'm coming after you, Jesus. All the days of my life, I'm coming after you, Jesus, because you already came after me. And I praise your mighty name. And if you prayed that today, would you begin to give the Lord just a clap offering for his goodness and his mercy and what he's doing in this place. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.